Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of stages of labor found under the obstetrics section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 32-year-old G2P1 at 39 weeks of gestation presents to the labor and delivery ward. She states that she has been having contractions for the past four hours. Currently, she believes the contractions are about five minutes apart. She is placed in a room, and the resident comes to take a history and do an exam. On pelvic exam, the resident notes that the patient's cervix is 2 centimeters dilated and 20% effaced, and she is having regular contractions, consistent with latent labor. Let's continue with an introduction to stages of labor. Stage 1 may be split up into latent and active stage 1. Latent stage 1 starts with regular uterine contractions, and is when the cervix is dilating from 0 centimeters to 6 centimeters. The timing is typically 20 or less hours if the patient is nulliparous, or 14 or less hours if the patient is multiparous. However, there may be a highly variable duration, and the cervix effaces and slowly dilates. In active stage 1, the cervix dilates from 6 centimeters to 10 centimeters, and it ends at full cervical dilation of 10 centimeters. The duration is typically from two to three and a half hours, and the dilation rate accelerates compared to the latent stage. There will also be regular and intense contractions, and the cervix effaces and dilates quickly. The fetal head also progressively descends into the pelvis during this stage. Throughout all of stage one, one can perform continuous fetal heart rate monitoring with a Doppler or fetal scalp electrode. One should also perform monitoring of the uterine activity. This can be accomplished with a tocodynamometer. Contractions should be 200 Montevidal units every 10 minutes, and one can also use an internal uterine pressure catheter. Analgesics that may be used include an epidural, however this may cause postdural headache postpartum. One can also use meperidine. Stage 2 of labor starts at complete cervical dilation of 10 centimeters and it ends at the delivery of the baby. It will typically last 3 hours or less if the patient is nulliparous or 2 hours or less if the patient is multiparous. Also remember that the baby undergoes all stages of cardinal movements during this stage. That includes descent, flexion, internal rotation, extension, and external rotation. Also remember that maternal effort will accelerate the delivery. There will be pressure on the perineum for control. Once the head is delivered, one should evaluate the nuchal cord, then one should deliver the shoulders. In order to accomplish this, one should provide a gentle downward pressure on the head, then there will be delivery of the anterior shoulder, then there will be an easy upward force in order to deliver the posterior shoulder, then one can deliver the body, then one should warm, dry, and stimulate the baby, and finally clamp and cut the cord. Then the umbilical cord should be sent for blood testing. This would include ABO and RH testing, as well as blood gases. Stage 3 of labor starts after the baby is delivered, and it ends at the delivery of the placenta. It typically lasts 30 minutes or less. Also remember that the placenta separates and the uterus contracts to establish hemostasis. One should wait for signs of placental separation. This includes the uterus becoming firm and rising in the abdomen, as well as a gush of blood and lengthening of the cord. Then one should apply a gentle, constant traction. This may require up to 30 minutes. 
and if the placenta is received in clumps, then that may indicate that there was abnormal placentation. If it has been more than 30 minutes, then one should perform uterine massage, give oxytocin, or perform manual extraction with the hand. Stage 4 of labor starts immediately postpartum and ends 2 hours postpartum. It only lasts 2 hours. This is the period with significant physiological changes. One should perform systematic evaluation of the cervix, vagina, vulva, perineum, and periurethra. Also remember to monitor for postpartum complications. Some other things to remember are that cervical changes during labor include softening and ripening, effacement, which is thinning or shortening of the cervix, dilation, which is widening of the cervix, and remember that the pathophysiology of these changes involves breakage of disulfide bonds as well as engagement of the fetal head with the cervix. The fetal station describes the position of the fetal head relative to the maternal ischial spines. The scale runs from negative 5 to positive 5. Negative 5 is the initial position prior to labor. 0 is at the level of narrowest point of the ischial spines, and positive 5 is at the vaginal opening. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to stages of labor, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 21-year-old G1P0 woman presents to the labor and delivery ward at 39 weeks gestation for elective induction of labor. She requests a labor epidural. An epidural catheter is secured at the L4 to L5 space. She exhibits no hemodynamic reaction to lidocaine 1.5% with epinephrine of 1 in 200,000. A continuous infusion of bupivacaine 0.0625% is started. After 5 minutes, the nurse informs the anesthesiologist that the patient is hypotensive to 80 over 50 with a heart rate increase from 90 to 120 beats per minute. The patient is asymptomatic and fetal heart rate has not changed significantly from baseline. She says that her legs feel heavy but is still able to move them. What is the most likely cause of the hemodynamic change? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Bainbridge reflex Choice 2. Intrathecal infiltration of local anesthetic Choice 3. Local anesthetic systemic toxicity Choice 4. Spinal anesthesia Or Choice 5. Sympathetic blockade The best answer to this question is Choice 5. Sympathetic blockade this vignette describes a common effect of epidural anesthesia, often seen in the parturient population. Sympathetic blockade is the most likely mechanism for this patient's asymptomatic hypotension and tachycardia. Local anesthetics work on spinal nerve roots in the epidural space. Following a successful epidural, sympathectomy occurs, followed by sensory blockade and finally motor blockade. Sympathetic blockade can cause profound hypotension in people with reduced preload, as sympatholysis decreases systemic vascular resistance, reflex tachycardia can also ensue. Other effects of sympathectomy from epidural anesthesia include increased bowel motility, urinary retention, and increased propensity for decreased core body temperature secondary to peripheral vasodilation. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Bainbridge reflex is an increase in heart rate secondary to increased central venous pressure. In epidural anesthesia, venous compliance increases due to sympathectomy, so central venous pressure is decreased. Choice 2. 
some degree of intrathecal infiltration of local anesthetic invariably occurs with epidural anesthesia via diffusion, but this is not the primary cause of sympathectomy in epidural anesthesia. Choice 3. Local anesthetic systemic toxicity is an emergency condition from critical levels of local anesthetic in the bloodstream, causing neurological derangements and cardiovascular collapse. Choice 4. Spinal anesthesia can cause sympathectomy, but causes sensory and motor blockade at nerve roots below the level of spinal anesthetic more quickly than epidural anesthesia. Finally, a bullet summary. Hypotension following epidural anesthesia is a common side effect due to sympathetic blockade, which causes vasodilation and blood redistribution to the lower extremities. That's all for this review about stages of labor. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.